Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 231. My heart, my passion, my legacy is on how many people I can reach and touch. And of course, I'm going to be in turn blessed financially by that. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue and welcome to this week's show. If by chance you happen to be at the Philadelphia National Candy Show in Hershey, Pennsylvania, come visit us. We're in booth 708 and I'll print you a ribbon with your name or anything else you want on it right then and there. I'm also speaking this afternoon all about what's working right now in social media. And as we know, that changes all the time. So you might be in need of an update. I guess this is an educational kind of intro today. Maybe it's in the air with the kids all back at school. But I want to make sure that you know that registration is now open for my upcoming masterclass. I'm doing something a little bit different by opening up times when I normally don't run classes, specifically weekends and evenings. I get that you have other things to do and your time is limited. So I'm doing three classes and I'm pretty sure one of these will work for you. Let me back up here a bit. You may be asking, what is this program all about anyway? If you've ever thought about turning your handmade products into a business, or you're just getting started and wondering if this could really work for you, you'll want to attend the masterclass. You'll learn the single biggest thing people miss when they start a business, four critical elements to include when you're pricing your product, how to attract customers, and the secret to creating loyal customers who buy from you again and again. The market is so primed right now for your handmade products. This whole category is steadily growing as the big box stores are seeing declines. Just look at your local malls, all the vacancies, even the well-known anchor stores. We get into all of this too. The masterclass is called How to Turn Your Handmade Products into an Income-Producing Business. And it's totally free. Go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass and pick one of the days and times that works for you. I'll be thrilled to have you join us and I promise you're going to want to know what I'm talking about here. Coming your way right now is a discussion every existing business owner should pay attention to. I've got one of my mastermind sisters on and we talk about what you should be doing to prepare for adding on employees. I know, I know you may not be there yet, but if you ever wanna gain back time and set your business up for growth, you'll need to add this to your plan. Or heaven forbid, let's say you get sick or injured, or you just want to take an extended vacation. Wouldn't it be great to have your business capable of running without you? even for just a short time. Let's pop over to the interview so you can learn more. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Natalie Gingrich. 
Natalie is the founder and host of the Ops Authority. She has been in operations for two decades, either in healthcare, corporate America, or as an entrepreneur. Her goal is to bridge the gap in overwhelm when it comes to processes and systems, growing a team, and setting up solid business foundations. Natalie spent 15 years in corporate operations and leadership at a Fortune 150 company, notice she's not telling us who, <laughs> when given the opportunity to leave, she put her knowledge, certifications, and experience to work by creating her own consulting firm as well as a certification. She developed the Director of Operations Certification to equip existing ops experts with a flexible profession outside of corporate, but still playing a huge role in small businesses globally. Natalie, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I am so excited to be here. Yay! <laughs> I'm so curious about how this conversation is going to go. But before we get started, I want to have you introduce yourself in what's become a traditional way, and that is sharing who you are by way of a motivational candle. So if you were to describe yourself, Natalie, by color and by quote, what would your motivational candle look like? So I would have to choose the color purple, any color purple, like everything from lilac all the way to like magenta. Like that is my jam. It has always brought me so much joy. And of course, the color purple is royal. And I feel like I have always not necessarily seen myself as royalty. So let's be clear there. But I've always felt like a distinction of the knowledge that I've been gifted and just equipped to share that. So I love the color purple for so many reasons, but the symbolic reasons for sure. And the quote that it would have on there is, let's do big things while leaving a legacy. It just means everything to me. And I'm so glad that you go over this question because it really made me stop and review and visualize what that candle would look like as I'm sitting here at my desk burning a candle. You aren't. Really? <laughs> I am, <laughs> every day. Oh, I'm so jealous. Well, that's why I like you so much. You love candles like I do. <laughs> I actually have four on this desk right now. I was trying to decide this morning which one I was going to burn. <laughs> okay, so you have to send a picture of that to me. When you say, let's do big things while leaving a legacy, are you talking about how they leave the legacy? Because the first thing I thought of is sometimes people leave a legacy, but they leave a big mess behind them too. Like they'll step on people or it feels disingenuous or something like that. So are you comparing how the message is sent and how it's received along with the big things that you're doing? I feel like we, especially as females, will waste a lot of our hearts by not going after the things that we really aspire to do. So we kind of squash them and minimize them. And maybe we never take that leap. And it doesn't have to be from a profession perspective, but in all areas of our lives. And so when I say let's do big things, I mean just having the courage to just take that step forward, to take the leap in whatever it is. If it's buying a new home, if it's creating a new product, whatever that may be, going on that amazing adventure you've always dreamt of, let's figure out a way to do it and let's make it happen. And then leaving a legacy is the result of that, right? Absolutely. So I have to be really honest with you, Natalie. When we met, I don't know, about a year and a half or so now, you're about a year and a half ago, I guess. Even though in my corporate world, I was often on production floors, lots of operations, processes, et cetera, I don't really think I understood what operations meant for businesses like ours. 
So to ground me and all of our listeners, can you share with us a little bit what your definitions of ops is for us? Absolutely. So when I talk about operations, think about your business as having two different sides. So you have what I call the front of the house or the front office and the back of the house. So everything that you would see. So imagine your customer is going to purchase something from you. We as the customer only see the front office. So we see the graphics. We have the opportunity to purchase. It's what we visually see as a consumer. But the back office is all of the operational pieces. So this is all of that technology that goes into putting that one product on a website or all of the things that happen to be an exhibitor at a show. The amount of projects and tasks that go into creating and executing something, all of that is going to be in the operations space. So some common areas that are in operations that may make this a little bit more clear for you are a lot of the technology. It will be the financials. I know that this is not glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. All of the efficiencies and the processes and the systems that you're going to need to scale your business. And those are not the first things that you think about when you walk into business. You often think about getting your product on the shelf. And so this back office and the operations piece are going to be helpful with strategizing the ways to make that easier, more automated, et cetera. Beautiful. So tell me how this became an interest to you and why you decided or how you chose to take this on as the focal point for your career. It is so wild. But even as I look back over my life, I have always had this as a part of me. And of course, at the age, you know, in my childhood, I had no idea that this was a value, that this was going to be something that I would use over and over and for the rest of my life and much less make a profession out of it. But I have always had the knack for making lists, for organizing, for leading. And as I went through college and got my multiple degrees that I'm not using today, (laughs) I have always been able to connect the dots back to what I now call operations. But it was really a systematized personality. And we can look through all the personality types, et cetera. But this was the gift that I have always had and leveraged. And I really can remember it all the way back to being six and eight years old list maker, leading organizations, driving for results, and being able to tie a big vision that I have and breaking it down into small pieces, ultimately so that we could attain the goal that we had set forward. So I'm re-looking at your bio and healthcare, corporate America, all these big organizations that have multiple departments underneath them, lots of employees. Of course, they would need these systems and processes to run their businesses efficiently. And now I guess I'm seeing and understanding why, even if you're a one-man show, this can become really valuable. Right. Let me take you on a little journey. When I went to undergraduate for nursing as well as business, I know I was, like most people between the ages of 18 and 21, had no idea what I really wanted to do when I grew up. I actually could see you in nursing, by the way. Because you're always caring about people around you. And, you know, I know we're going to hear it all throughout this interview, but you overlay that nice, calm, warm personality on top of operations, which can feel so rigid and strict. So in that way, you're really different in terms of combining this topic with who you are as a person. It makes you really unique. Well, thank you, Sue. Anyway, I'm excited to hear the story. Go ahead. Thank you. Carry on. 
Yes. So I went from my undergraduate degree in nursing and business, went on and I wanted to be a specialist. Again, you're seeing that high achiever in me wanting to get excellent education to be able to come out of this and really serve in a bigger, deeper capacity. I went on and got a master's degree in a specialty called cardiac rehab. And I know this is wild because it feels different when you're listening to this, but I will connect the dots for you whenever I have wrapped up. But I went on to get a graduate degree and in doing so, I came out with an advanced degree, being able to serve this particular, like a niche audience, if you will, as compared to business and was really serving the gerontology world. We ended up moving. My husband had gone on to get his degree and so we had taken some turns and I was licensed in a couple different states to perform this. Well, of course, in every single one of those roles, I loved patient care. Like there is a super servant part of me that just always comes out, as you mentioned a second ago. But the patient care was so important, but also being able to consistently treat these patients in a way where they knew what to expect. And I could also train other people below me. So these are very much operational skill sets that were natural to me that, of course, I could not have seen at that time. But that was my benefit to every single provider I ever worked for. I would come in, I would systematize, I would naturally get into leadership. And then as the world turns, we would move to another location. So we moved too many years ago, I guess about 15 years ago, we moved to Texas, back to Texas. I'm originally from Texas. So it was a nice place to come back home to. But when we moved to Texas, the Medicare rules were quite different. And so I was not able to serve in the field of cardiac rehab like I had before. Lots of medical jargon that we don't need to get into, but it forced me to look around and see what else I wanted to do. And so I went to work for that Fortune 150 company that I left nameless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here in San Antonio, it provided me so much. It has allowed me to connect the dots backwards, as I've been mentioning, because I left that nursing field and I walked into human resources. And this is all on the job training. I was extremely grateful and blessed with a path and support and additional knowledge that I couldn't have dreamt of. But I came in because of my expertise in both client care and in the servicing space. I came in and was running their wellness and health benefits. So I did that for a long time through the company and, and rising into leadership. I had been absorbed into the project management space, which of course was perfect from an operations perspective because now we were looking into the details and that forced me to kind of get out of that health space. And so I started working in IT projects and, you know, Sue, you and I have talked about your history and your corporate experience and some of those things that I see you worked in putting out new campaigns, et cetera. I was behind the scenes doing that from a project perspective. So there you go from a nurse all the way into working in IT and marketing campaigns, but I was really on the delivery side. So I was always making sure that the process and the projects were set up. And then I was the person that was leading the team to make sure that everyone met their milestones, that we had all the materials, that the budget was being attended to because that's always a biggie in, in corporate projects. And after I had worked in project management for a while, I was voluntold that I would be the chief of staff for our chief executive officer, so for our CEO. And it was a humongous role, as you may imagine. This company has 40,000 people, and this CEO was just an amazing gentleman, and I had a great opportunity to serve him. But what I really recognized at that point was what was happening 
to myself and my family. And so this is where that legacy, that part of the candle where legacy just keeps burning and burning and burning. I started to look at the commitment that I had to the business and the way I was showing up here in my own home with my children and my children were getting bigger. And so it was a great opportunity. He had retired when he left the company, it gave me the opportunity to leave or find another job within the company. And I just took a risk and I said, you know what, I'm going to go home and shuttle my kids around and not spend $30,000 a year on getting them to places because I couldn't be there as a corporate employee. And my legacy was forever changed. But what ended up happening after I came home is that high achiever and ambitious Natalie could not just be fulfilled by being on the PTA and volunteering. (laughs) I found myself back in business and supporting in the exact same way I was supporting that CEO of Fortune 150. I found myself really trying to understand the small business sector. I grew up with in a single parent family who had led a huge business in the 70s and 80s. And so that is ingrained in me. But I just wanted, I was committed to understanding what the small business workscape looked like. And then I complemented it by putting what I was doing in corporate and duplicated it and started serving CEOs in the small business space in the same way. I love your story, Natalie, because it's so you. (laughs) Interestingly enough, that was exactly my route. A little bit different circumstances, but corporate, I elected to leave because of family. But then there was always that underlying business love, too. So when the time was right, I jumped back in. But I also want to bring this up because Gift Biz listeners, look at what you're doing right now with a fresh eye. What skills are you using that so easily come to you that they don't even feel like they're skills? Right. Maybe something that your friends compliment you on and consider that as one of your strengths. Also, if you have a nine to five, a regular job right now, what types of things are you learning? What education are you receiving that you might very well be able to use as you move forward with your own business? Just like Natalie demonstrated. And another thing, Natalie, now I'm going back to operations specifically. You were talking about the front of the house and the back of the house. Mm -hmm. The tech, yes. Financials, ugh, (laughs) but yes. But also the production aspect, you know, everyone who's listening here is a maker. So the production of the product, the steps that are taken, the process, if you will, of how you make your soaps, how you create the special scents or doing the molds or whatever applies to the specific art as you go. Mm -hmm. Creating processes around this is what allows you to grow because taking that uniqueness, documenting it then it allows you to pass it on to somebody else who can then replicate it so you can focus on growing the business. Absolutely. Whether you are in a service-based business or in a product-based business, all of us will start by most likely doing all the work ourselves. And then as we grow, build, and scale our businesses, we try to remove ourselves. And the only way that we can do that is by defining what it is that we're doing. What is your secret sauce? And, you know, so it took me a long time. I kept saying, no one can ever do what I do. Like, it's just me. No one can do that. And I'm sure you and everybody else that's listening have said that about something in your life. I'm the only one that can do this. We say it about our kids all the time. I'm going to fold the towels because I like the way I do it. No one else is going to do it my way (laughs) just to make this very practical, but we can all remove ourselves. And it does you and your business such a service 
to be able to write this stuff down, to articulate. You don't have to physically write it. Honestly, there are so many different ways to get this stuff out of your head. But just as you said, Sue, if we cannot get the process out into the world, no one else will ever take it over, which will also limit you from being able to do and focus on other things. So having yourself replicatable should be a big driver for all of your listeners. Okay, so let's extend this a little further to something that's more concrete. I don't care which angle we take, but I'm kind of hoping that we can go with the product creation process. Yep. How would you suggest someone get started? I personally, I'm a child of the 70s and paper is a good friend of mine. So I typically start everything on a piece of paper and I will eventually move it into some digital software. But I think of what happens chronologically when you sit down to create that candle, what are the steps that you are doing? What is the very first thing, the second thing? And I mean detailed. So I really do think some of this comes down to age, which no discrimination, but we, me, Natalie, 42 years old, I would sit down and write every single small detail. What I'm seeing with millennials is they are going to record themselves, either speaking it or in video form, recording exactly what they're doing. That's why YouTube is so big today, right? They're recording the how-tos. But if you just do that, honestly, if you put a camera up in your office for a day and just watch what you're doing, I know that that would not be super life-altering content, but it's so helpful to see, to break down, to be able to see the big picture and break it down into the small pieces of what you're doing. So I'm just going to go back to the candle thing because I can still see that purple candle just burning in my office over here. (laughs) Is there a scent to that candle? It is lavender lemon mint. Oh, that sounds amazing. Sorry, I just had to do that. We had to get a feel for your environment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got cords all around that poor candle. (laughs) Let me ask you a question here real quick. Would you start with, let's say with a candle, because that's perfect. Would you start with, here's the candle, here are the ingredients that go into it, and then here's where I resource it from? Would you start there, as far back as there? So it's almost like a recipe then with the ingredients, the sourcing, and then you'd start step one, step two, step three, et cetera. It really is going to come down to the type of person that you are. I, myself, yes, that's exactly what I would do. I would start all the way from sourcing to filling the candle and complete it with how I got it on the shelf. But that's just me. If you're a creative, that's likely not how you're going to be thinking. So I would start with the part that you are the most connected to, the part that comes the easiest to you, because that's going to be the easiest part for you to teach to the person that you could hire or help you to get this done. Perfect. And I'm thinking that it can change over time too. So if you just start getting some steps down, you can always adjust and add to it later as you go. You can fill it in and edit it and add to it over time which would be a reason for it to be digital because then you can easily adjust it as you go. Right. So I think about a jewelry designer and I come back to Kendra Scott quite a bit just because I've researched her a lot, but she loved the design piece, right? And so she held on to that piece the longest. And so what she did was go the way, the route that she went was to understand how to document, how to source these, the jewels, how to bring them in, how to market them, how to get them out. She documented all of that, but she still held on to the actual design piece because that's what she loved. So if there's a part of the process that you feel 
highly connected to and you love it, you feel like that's your unique advantage, hold on to that piece. So you may not want to go there first. You may want to go to the pieces that you want to outsource. It's really going to be dependent on your type of personality and how much help you can afford to bring in. Right. And I have to say, from talking with lots of business owners, I frequently hear that as your business grows, you start to grow yourself out of the business that you love. Mm -hmm. Your job starts to change as you hire employees, um, have to go out and market the business, right? And all of a sudden, you're not doing some of the things in your business that you really loved, like making the jewelry or pouring the wax of the candles, some of those things. But as the business owner, you get to choose. You might still want to participate up until the design stage. So you design everything, but then when it gets moves over to production, you hand it off so that it's still your hand in the product all of the time. But again, I just want to layer on top of this that you always get to choose. It's kind of that choice of how much time do you want to spend working on your business versus working in your business. Right. And I would also say this also depends on the type of business that you want, right? A lot of us start as hobbyists. We realize that, I mean, we've got a big fire and a big passion. We realize that we can monetize it. So we get into the business kind of on accident, which is at that point is still very much a hobbyist business. And then it gets to the point where production or request or demand is coming in. And all of a sudden overnight, you turn into a business owner. Well, you may not have a business background or a business backbone. And all of a sudden you're putting yourself really out of your comfort zone. So when you start to dissect what part you're going to remove yourself, if that has been your path, it's going to be a little bit more cloudy because you don't know about the marketing side. You don't know about all of this technical, how to get my product on the shelves type of thing. You may be great at parts of this and really weak in others, but I will go back to the type of business that you want. I get the question all the time. Do you want to have a lifestyle business or do you want an empire? And I would ask yourself that. It's a challenging question because the high achiever in me is like, oh yeah, I want an empire. But me, Natalie, personally, have never been somebody who has been motivated by a six-figure business or a seven-figure business or the numbers. Yes, numbers matter. And yes, I need to be able to contribute X amount of dollars to my family every month. But income is not as important to me as impact. And yes, I still need income. Like I'm not saying that I'm doing this for free, but I'm doing this, my heart, my passion, my legacy is on how many people I can reach and touch. And of course, I'm going to be in turn blessed financially by that. But it really comes down to the type of business that you want to understand how much you want to get out of it, how many parts you want to continue to play, how many streams you want to hold on, how many of those processes that you are going to own. If you're somebody who's wanting an empire and there's nothing wrong with that, I'm inspired by empire builders every single day. But if that is what you're wanting, if that one candle you wanted to turn into something that is in every big name shop, then you're looking for an empire. You're going to have to replicate yourself much differently than the person who is content with selling and sharing at craft fairs. So you have to determine what it is that you want out of your business. And then I think the operations become a little bit more clear in how hard you're going to have to work at this piece. A lifestyle business or an empire? Something to think about. We'll carry on with this conversation right after a quick word from our sponsor. 
This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. And success in your business doesn't even mean that your numbers need to increase year over year. You may have a certain time frame in your life where you need to just keep things on the even keel and not increase. And guess what? That's okay. Balance with what else is going on in your life is really important. And you were talking about legacy a little earlier too, Natalie. Yep. What a great thing to be home with the children while they're little and just keep the business humming along, you know, on a peaceful keel. And then later as the kids are growing and you find an opportunity, then you can build your business further. I just answered this question earlier. I had a Voxer. We use Voxer to communicate with some friends. And she was asking me about a legacy business or what kind of business I wanted. And I just said, you know what, right now I can't think past a lifestyle business. I need a lifestyle slash legacy business because I spend 17 hours a week in the car taking my children to activities. And so when they're gone in just five short years, I'm not going to have any kids at home. My goals are going to be, I know that they will be vastly different, but I'm not there yet. So I also know as a small business, I am not going to put the cart so far ahead of myself that because so much can change. I know it's going to change. And you know that you've been a great model for me in our friendship because you are ahead of me both in business and in family development. I'm watching all of you guys and I know you have more time to be on the road right now because you don't have young kids at home. And so who knows what the future holds, but I do know right now it is definitely based on a lifestyle business. Yeah, well, you know what? You can't put your kids on pause, but you can put your business on slow. Yes. Listen to that, listeners. That is exactly right. And I will say, having one business that's pivoted into another and my whole business progression has been my baby. And it's been a big help when the kids started leaving the house because that is a big turning point for sure. I can see myself diving really deeply once even just one child goes off to college and I can't even imagine both of them being off, but we're not that far away. It'll happen. And when it does, you and I will talk and everything will be fine. Yes. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about product creation because a couple of ideas came up as you were describing things. Talking about the different steps involved that you go through to create whatever it is that your product is. I'm thinking also about the time involved with going through each step. So what are the time requirements for each step? And of course, you as the designer of your product will know best how long it takes and what appropriate requirements are for each step. The reason I'm saying that is twofold. One is just kind of a flat set statement. And the other one, I think we can have some conversation around. Knowing how long it takes to make your product is going to help with the production part of your pricing. As makers, it's so easy to perfect that design just a little bit more. And that's 10 minutes. Or mess around with the bow a little bit or add a little bit more color in. And there goes another 10 minutes. So all of a sudden, you have wasted 20 minutes when, depending on your product, you might have been able to make a whole new piece. Or even more importantly, maybe you could have made a call to a corporate account or done something to advance and grow your business instead of you know, kind of wasting a little bit more time making it perfect without necessarily an incrementally valuable result. 
let's talk about this a little bit. Time into making your product versus time into developing and growing your business. Right. So we usually start our businesses, especially females. And I know that that's the majority of your audience, but we start our businesses most often out of an emotional need, a financial need, or we're just extremely passionate on the topic or the product. So it's easy to fall in love with the creation side of business. It's exciting. It's fun. It's an adventure. But like we were talking about, once you move from the hobby more into the business side where you want that income to continue to grow, you really do have to remove yourself from that product piece, which is going to be hard. I get it. I totally understand that. For me, your product side is like my relationship. I could sit and talk all day long to new people to help them. I mean, that's what I could do all day long. But I know that my business will be limited if I ignore and I don't really dive in to those other pieces that are going to make my business run more smoothly. So you will, what my tip is for anyone, absolutely any type of business and any stage of business is once you understand you have a product that sells, you know that it's selling well, understand how you're doing that, how you're developing that product so that you then can have somebody come in and help you with multiplying how many products you're able to make and removing you from it. From here, I really want you and all of your listeners to think about the business strategy. And these sound like stuffy corporate words, but without a strategy, you don't have a direction. Without a direction, you go back to your default, right? You're not stretching. You're not growing. You're stuck in the candle making. You never move past that because that's easy. It becomes comfortable. So with a business strategy, it all starts with a vision. So where do you want this business to go? What we were talking about just one second ago with what kind of business do you want? Do you want this to be a $100,000 business? What is it? What is your big driver? Why is this candle business so important to you? So we start there and then we really start to look at how we're going to make that happen. And that's what makes your business strategy. When you get up in the morning, you understand the business strategy that's ahead of you. And for right now, you will know what to work on. Once you complete that, then you can keep looking and growing closer and closer to that long-term vision. I think that vision is so important and it is my first step in Makers MBA. Yay! <laughs> I'm just going to stop right here and tell everybody <laughs> that you are the one who named my signature program. <laughs> can I, I stop right here and up. tell the story? Can I tell the story? Because yes. you definitely get all the credit. So last year, 2018, Natalie and I were in the CEO Biz Chicks Mastermind together, and I was on the hot seat. We were going through, I'm talking about the signature program because I'm about to relaunch it, and I'm sharing what it's all about. <laughs> and Natalie, dear heart that you are, listens intently and says, uh, Sue, what you've just described does not match the name in any way, shape, or form. It is so much more than what the name kind of suggests. So she let me <laughs> contemplate that for a little bit. And then we took a break and she meets me in the hall and she says, okay, Sue, I have just checked everything out. You need to name your signature program Makers MBA. I see that the domain is available right here. Would you like <laughs> me to buy it for you right now? <laughs> so that was that. And I will forevermore be indebted to you. And everyone now knows where the name came from. I love okay, it. let's get 
back on track here um, and going back to the conversation about the vision, I so agree with you there. And especially for makers, because we have this different element of the fact that we have to put time into production to making our art. And then when you sell, you actually, the more you sell, the more time and work you're creating for yourself. But it's not necessarily business development work. It's busy product creation work. Yes. Sue, I'm going to blow your mind really quick. Oh, do. My very first business, <laughs> which I was out of graduate school, I was probably 25. It was called Sassy Pants Art. <laughs> <laughs> I love that already. And I made jewelry. And I'm thinking back to the days I loved going to beading shows and B-E-A-D, by the way. <laughs> And finding jewels and gems. And I loved that part of it. I loved understanding how to use the tools. I loved making the final product. But where I have always struggled in business is in the marketing piece. And so as you're telling the story, it's really bringing me back to some of my roots and my own entrepreneurial journeys and understanding that there was a block for me in growing the business because I was scared to market. I was scared to contact the craft fairs and the craft shows that were around me because I was attached to the creation process. And so for me to have scaled that business, I would have had to get over that and move forward and understand where my vision was. But I never put a vision to that business. Number one, I was probably too young to see where it could go, but I was too closely attached to the actual creation piece to make it a true bona fide business, a solid business. Right. Which could have been fine if that's what you wanted, yeah. you know, extra income on the side. But this is perfect. And yes, it does blow my mind. And by the way, you're really good at naming businesses if this is a new <laughs> sideline job you ever wanted to <laughs> uncover. Okay, but let's carry on now with this line of thinking. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have somebody who has been making their product all along themselves and they recognize that if they want to grow, they're going to have to add staff, employees, yes. but they've never done that before, what would you direct to that person who needs to now start thinking about bringing on people to produce their product? Right. Well, if you've got started by documenting the process and then Sue, you had just mentioned kind of putting the times of how long it takes you to complete that. If you've got this long list of items and tasks that it takes to create the candle, let's just talk about the actual product creation. So you'll have this list of everything. If you know the timing that it takes you, you can double that for a new hire. So if you're hiring someone to come in to do what you were doing, some of the questions that I get often is, I don't know who to hire, I don't know how to hire, and I don't know how many hours or what to pay them. Like it's such a big can of worms. But if you will do what Sue had just said about understanding how long it takes you to you personally to do this, to do the work that you're doing and you've become so good at right now, you can double the time. And that's kind of an easy equation to understand how much help you need for that one particular piece of the puzzle. The next piece is understanding who it is, what the skill sets of the person that you need, what level of person are you looking for? And people come at this all different ways. And I cannot tell you a particular formula to go for. But if you're looking for a lot of actually most people will come into this looking for low price talent. And when I say low price, I mean someone who can come in and help either with products or in the administration piece. So fulfilling those types of things you can get from labor that is not extremely expensive, but it's also not specialized. 
So if that's the path that you take, you're now going to know that you need that type of labor. You're going to know how many hours you're going to need them for, and then do a market analysis. And that word seems really stuffy, but number one, you've got to look at your finances to see what you can afford. And second of all, see, you may want to see what other people are providing or offering for a similar role, but I could care less what other people are paying. If you cannot afford it, you can't stretch your budget because it always affects your personal margins. So I'm always telling people, don't overinvest in people despite your own success. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's another thing I'd like to interject in here as well. And that is, you don't need to necessarily hire somebody to take over from the start to the completion of your product. Mm -hmm. If there's some time intensive portion of the product, maybe it's involving prep, getting everything set up, or some very basic steps, you may hire somebody to do that where those steps require less of a skill level, but you come back in and be the quote unquote finisher of the product. Mm -hmm. This allows you then to get back some time that you can use on growing the business. Some of the other things that employees just wouldn't be able to do, yet you'd still be involved with creation of your product, at least for a time being, you know, as you start growing. Yep. And this goes back to the steps and the process. You'll know which particular parts you could hire in for if you have those steps defined. Yes. I mean, having the processes is number one. So if you have not grown a team and you aspire to grow and to have people come in and help you, I would highly encourage you to start documenting what it is that you do today. Something that came to mind as you were talking, Sue, I have taken what I do from a one-to-one -one client perspective. And I've documented this into six particular steps and paths. And what I have done is for those six, I slowly, as I was growing my business, I slowly removed myself one by one by one. So you're absolutely right. I would be almost crazy foolish and broke if I would bring somebody in or several people to do all six of those steps at one time. So it took me almost a full year to remove two of the six steps and to hand those over to somebody. So yes, don't feel overwhelmed that you're going to bring in somebody and you're going to have to pay them a whole lot of money because they're handling an entire piece of this. You could just have one small part. Maybe it's inventory. Maybe it's ordering an inventory. Maybe it's the actual marketing piece, whatever that may be. Don't feel like you have to overdo or overspend. One small piece of outsourcing can free you up. And it's only going to free you up if you're bringing somebody in and they're helping you two hours a day to do something. If you use those two hours to do business development, to do other things that can making a new product or finding a new place to retail, whatever that may be. I always like to warn people that it's not easy to outsource. This is a big journey. But once you've done it, it feels so good that sometimes we as business owners look at this as like a retreat. Like we got two hours back. But you're only going to see the return on the investment if you're putting those two hours back into the business in another way. In a way that's closer to the sale. Yep. Because that's the way you can afford to hire them on. You continue to grow. That's right. And it's not then that you're free for lunch for an hour a day or something. But I see it so often. Okay. So I'm putting myself in the heads of some of our listeners and they're going to say, Natalie, 
there is not a chance that I am going to share with anybody else all the secrets about how I make my product. What's the response there? If you have a process that needs to be legally secured, it's okay to do that. And it may be a really wise investment for you to protect your intellectual property. Protecting the product, depending, right? Right. And then also having good contracts for the people that do come in. I mean, there can be repercussions, but I also think that this is a mindset thing. Outside of the legality and the scary parts, I think a lot of us are just concerned that someone's going to take our idea and run off with it. And guess what? There's not an original idea out there, right? So there's lots of different candle makers and yes, they may all make them somewhat similarly, but there is something different about each company. So just know that no one's going to do it your way. Yes, it's likely that you want them to learn from you and they may not be invested in you forever. But the most important thing is that you need to focus on is that they're giving you the space and energy and allowance to do something different for yourself. They are offsetting what the time and investment that you were making in the business so that you can grow it. Now the risk as businesses all, there are definitely risks in business is that they're going to come in and potentially learn something and take it somewhere else. That's a very common fear, but just know most people are good. I can't even tell you how many times I say that to people, but most people are good people and having them sign documents will help to enforce how important this process is to you and convey that to them. Okay. So like non-competes and things like that, non-disclosure agreements, et cetera. I'll also say, and I have seen this happen before, let's say a non-compete is not enforceable or something happens and someone's not protected and they have an employee who decides, I can do this so much better and they go off and they start their own company. Running a business is so much different than just making a product. Yeah. It takes a different set of skills. You know, we were just talking about the courage and putting together procedures and processes. And the fact is, a lot of people look from the outside and say that, oh, it looks so easy and they can do it. But when reality sets in and you actually have to, it's not as easy as it looks. Yep. Let's face it. Those of us who decide that we're going to start our own business, we're a unique breed. I think they say like 78% of small businesses fail in the first two years and 90, I think it's 90 something. I, I don't have those stats. 98 within the first five, within the first five. Yeah. So, I mean, let that comfort you, unfortunately, and remember all the steps that you have gone through as a leader to get your business to this point. Would that person really have the tenacity to do what you have done? And that is not a point to discourage you gift biz listeners. Look, you're listening here. I'm sure you're capturing information from other places. You're resourceful just by the fact that you're here. And that's what the majority of people won't do. So please don't turn a mirror on yourself and say that's going to be you. Think of the opportunity that's available to you. Because the fact is, the further along you go with the growth of your business, the more competitors drop off. They reach obstacles and just decide they're not going to continue. I always say, and some people disagree with me on this, but it's really easy to start a business. Yeah. <laughs> Where it gets challenging is staying in business and growing a business. I couldn't agree more. 
The other thing is by bringing on, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Sue, with don't let this be a discouraging point, this should be the exact opposite. I understand that there's fear because you're going to be trading money for this role to come in. But understand that you're fulfilling something. You're putting a product out into the world. You're growing a business. You're supporting other people to make this happen, which is extremely difficult to do. And you've had the courage to do it. Absolutely. And then the more that you give somebody, the more responsibility, the more that this person is able to assist you and to help you, the deeper that they become attached to you and your brand. And ultimately, I think all of us who do aspire to have employees or contractors helping us, we want them to be a true extension of us. I'm a firm believer that the more you give to these folks, the more authority, the more you allow them to express their natural skills in your business, the deeper they are and the more committed they are to you. And the pride they have in what they're doing. Yeah. And I think when you stretch people to do things that they never thought they were capable of doing, they love it even more. Right. Think about that in our own lives. I mean, I know I can think back to corporate. I would have never put myself as a corporate project manager, but because I was given those skills and that trust, it changed the trajectory of my life. Mm. So you can do the same thing for somebody else. There you go. So Natalie, what would you say to the person who has started their business is working with their product and has just listened to our conversation here, what would be the steps that you would suggest? You know, maybe they've been taking notes. Maybe they've just been listening. What are one or two things that should be the biggest takeaways? It's really stepping out of the product and into that business leadership role. And when I say leadership, I'm really talking about having a true strategy for the why behind what you're doing. Where do you want to go? So as Sue talks about, what is that vision for your company? And now what are we going to do in the next six to 12 months to get closer to that vision? I am a believer that a vision is going to be, and for a small business like most of ours, we're not going to have a vision that's going to extend past three years. The economy, the industry, technology, all of those things can come in and can disrupt it. Set your vision big enough to where it's a three-year kind of stretch. Where do you see yourself in 2023? And what are we going to do in 2019 to get closer to that 2023 vision? I love that because you're making the vision farther out so that it can be a bigger vision, but there's not the pressure that you have to be there tomorrow. You break it down step by step so you can start progressing to where you're trying to go and see advancement towards your goal every single month. Right. And that's the only way that we as individuals feel progress. Right. So for someone like me, who's not extremely money motivated, I love to see this. This gets me closer to where my heart wants to be versus where I physically am at today. And that's truly the way I look at it. I know it's very soft and fluffy just so that I can share with you guys a true example. My vision for my company is by 2025, I will have certified 500 directors of operations on at least four continents. So it's specific. And so everything that I do in my business, I'm always looking through the lens of what am I doing to make sure that I'm equipping business owners and equipping people who have operational knowledge to be in business because I want them to have a flexible lifestyle just like I do. So it allows me to say no to things that pop up. It allows me to say yes to the right things and having that vision, making sure that everything runs through that lens 
Should I run Facebook ads? Like even the day-to-day stuff is still run through that exact same lens. Should I go to this conference? Should I speak at this event? Should I, all of those things, all of those business activities, I come back and I say, okay, if my goal is to have 500 certified director of operations, does it make sense for me to talk to wedding professionals? Because that's an offer that I had to go speak at. So it just helps me to stay in line, to stay in check, to make sure that I'm doing the right things. And if I can tie my daily activities to the vision that I want in 2025, then I know I'm going to make myself proud. I know that I'm going to keep marching forward and fulfilling that heart piece of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh my gosh. I love that example because you could be so busy by taking speaking engagements and training and all of that, that could ultimately bring you into an entirely different direction than where you are trying to go. In that case, you'll be really busy. You'll be dedicating a lot of time, but none of the actions that you're taking are actually bringing you to your goal. Right. And I just have to say, corporate Natalie, (laughs) I love how concrete it is. 500 certifications, four continents. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It took time to kind of come up with that number, but I'm super analytical. And so numbers do somewhat come naturally to me. But yeah, I love having that because you know what? It tells me how much marketing I need to do. It really helps me to reverse engineer by putting some numbers to this. It did allow me to do that. But it also could be having a product and target, right? It doesn't have to be a number. It can be, where do you want this product to go in the next three to five years? Where, what shelf do you want it to be on? Sure. That's a huge vision. I mean, the point is having the vision not to just be doing a ton of work and not sure what road you're on. Right. So I do something called strategic mapping, which would be really helpful for your audience. And it starts with the vision, but it's also being organized in your business. And I know that as makers, you spend a lot of time in that actual product because that's where you likely entered business. So it's hard to remove yourself, and we've talked about that today, but I also think once you are ready to grow and scale this business, make it a little bit easier for you, maybe remove the overwhelm, you're going to need that productivity and that structure internally. And I have a giveaway at the, if you go to theopsauthority.com forward slash business dash hub, like business hub, it's going to help you with getting started and getting organized and then understanding what, how you create and take that vision to your daily activities. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. So it's theappsauthority.com forward slash biz dash hub. Right. You got it. Gift biz listeners, you know that I'll also have that for you over on the show notes page. And Natalie, in addition to this, for another place online for people to go to learn more about you, where would you direct them? So you can definitely go to the website, which is the Ops Authority, but I'd encourage you to check out the podcast as well, theopsauthoritypodcast.com. And then I spend the majority of my time on Facebook, call it my age, but I love Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) You and me. Yes. So you can go to facebook.com forward slash the Ops Authority. So everything is the Ops Authority. I'm also on Instagram. I do spend time there, but Facebook is more my jam. So you'll see me there more often. Well, Natalie, thank you so much. This has been a topic we've never discussed before. And you've given us some nuances, some different ways of looking at things that are going to be really helpful as we build our businesses into the future. So processes, the name of the game. (laughs) Thanks again, Natalie. It has been such a joy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Sue.
So now you know all about processes and the important role that they can play within your business. We started documenting our procedures about a year ago or so, maybe a little bit more. We're not done yet, and every time we start something new, it's built into our system to capture the steps and the procedures. I have to say, it makes me so much more at ease to know these things are written down. It's also helped when I brought on a virtual assistant and as we bring in new people for order fulfillment or different things like that. The trick here is to actually get started. So why not think of one process you have that you can capture on paper? Momentum can really help here too, because once you've done one, the next one will come easier. As we say goodbye for this week, I want to remind you to go over and register for a spot in my masterclass. The link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. Do it right now so you don't forget. And having said that, I'm looking forward to us being together again next week. Bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.